0: This conversation is a great starting point for either those who have never heard of EDI or those who have heard of it, aren't really sure what it is and don't really know what impact it has on us as equine vets.
1: Hi, welcome to another episode of Beaver Pod Life. And Today we're going to be talking about EDI. We've got with us council member Sophie Eden, who's a lecturer in clinical veterinary practice at Surrey Vet School and also the equine lead for the British Veterinary Chronic Illness Society. We also have James Whitmore, president of the British Veterinary LGBT Plus Society and partner at COTS Equine, and Adil Khan, professor at equine medicine at the Nottingham Vet School. Thank you all for coming today, full house. Thanks for having us, Lucy. <laughs> so, For those of us out here, and that includes me to some extent, EDI is quite a a new term that's been popping up more and more. Sophie, would you like to explain to us what EDI is?
0: Sure. So, um, well... One, I would say, don't Google it, because if you put EDI into Google, it comes up with electronic data interchange, which as much as I'm sure that might have some relevance in the equine profession, it's not what we're talking about. Um, we're, so, EDI stands for equality, diversity, and inclusion. So, sort of equality being that understanding of, uh, that understanding of fairness and making sure that individuals aren't treated less favorably and diversity, kind of recognising and celebrating people's differences, and then the inclusion, trying to create this environment where everyone feels welcome and valued.
1: Excellent. And have you got any examples between you? So maybe a deal jump to kick off with um, times when EDI has surfaced for you in, in practice in your professional career.
2: Yeah, of course. So I think a really good one for me was when I started uh, my role at the University of Nottingham, uh I clearly got asked because I um request some time off for Ramadan because I'll start them soon after that. And it was great because my line manager asked me straight away saying, I'm not I don't know much about uh your faith or what requirements you have, but is there any adjustments that you require that will that will make your work life better? And that was an an absolutely amazing conversation I had and since then, it's been great because um, in the practice that I work and even in, at the university, there are different um, prayer areas, faith rooms that I can go to and I can, I can use to pray in. So compared to other places, I've actually got a place where I can get to pray at the times of the day that I need to. And currently I'm fasting Ramadan and uh, my workplace appreciates that. And it's easy for me to get annual leave during that time because they know I have a, a, a more requirement to have some leave during that time,
1: that's really nice. So yeah, the conversation was basically opened up for you, which is kind of one of the, one of the things we're going to be talking about today. And James, have you got any examples of where EDIs popped up for you? um Yes, and it's a negative experience, which isn't <laughs> always
3: what we want to hear. But um it was a call I was at. um I think generally we're very supportive in our practice, but there was just one call I went to, and it, it caught me quite off guard. Um, and it was a client who I do quite a bit of repro work for, um, who didn't know my sexuality, we had not sort of had that conversation before though. I'd I'd met them quite a lot. Um, and it was actually after the world cup and living in South Wales, there's a lot of people who love the rugby, but aren't as big a fans of the football and it was a bit like, Oh, did you watch the football? That sort of usual chat that I'm like, "Mm, not really. It's not, not my thing. But then they just made remarks to all the football players being puffed us. And it really caught me off guard a bit. And it it wasn't meant, it wasn't said in a malicious way. I guess it's a microaggression. But in that moment, having not thought about how I'd respond to that situation, it, it did make me feel really awkward to the point that then I didn't feel like I could talk about my relationship or my sexuality or that I was engaged and things like that. So I had quite a negative impact on my relationship with that client um, so yeah I think not a bad experience but a minor one do you know what I mean there's lots of clients that that doesn't happen it's it's rare but when it does it it catches you off guard <laughs>
1: yeah absolutely and so for you've you've looked quite deeply into this subject um what what evidence is there across our profession as a whole but also in equine particularly that you could sort of explain to our members out there listening
0: So, it was one of the questions that was on the recruitment and retention survey in 2022 in terms of if we had experienced discrimination ourselves, either from clients or from colleagues. And the percentages that came out, so there was a 58% of respondents had reported discrimination from clients and 34% had reported discrimination from colleagues. Um, And then sort of breaking that down, you kind of had 12% um, of discrimination from colleagues being race or ethnicity related, um, 7% being disability related and 4% being sexuality related with like a lot of the other discrimination being either gender or age and experience related. Um, and I think that's, um, yeah, which gender discrimination in colleagues was over 50%. Um, and I suppose that's one of the things with uh, like diversity and inclusion. And whilst I think, um, you know, uh, gender and sexuality or sort of um, gender reassignment, sexuality, race and ethnicity and disability being three areas that we all, would maybe think of at first when you think about sort of those marginalized groups that we need to consider, which is definitely something that is important. But uh, when we're talking about discrimination, it actually covers like nine protected characteristics under the Equality Act um, and they're age, gender reassignment, marriage, pregnancy or maternity, disability, race, religion, sex and sexual orientation. So. Those can affect so many people at so many different aspects of their, or sort of times of their career. And even though you might not necessarily be discriminated against currently, you might end up being in a position where you then get discriminated against. Like before I had a chronic illness, I, yeah, I was Female, like I didn't have any kids, like there weren't many other things on that list that gave me a protected characteristic in any way. Um, and then all of a sudden getting a chronic illness added to it, you know, I suppose with the equine profession, we know about our injury rate and just how dangerous our profession is, and so actually, it's quite easy, although some of those, you know, you might not fall into. There are some aspects that you could suddenly fall into being someone with a protected characteristic without having thought about it. And so, I think those stats with like, I suppose the 34% discrimination from colleagues is disappointing. Um, But I think also the more we can educate ourselves within our own profession the more that'll show to clients to try and bring down that 58% discrimination from clients figure as well because that's pretty stonkingly high really isn't it
1: yeah and I think that's a really good point isn't it that it's possibly for some people that might be listening thinking well you know this hasn't crossed my path at all it might just be that you haven't actually noticed it crossing your path I think that's possibly the worst bit about this isn't it is that it's something that goes on a lot more than we realize um I mean, from an individual point of view and maybe thinking about the wider practice, for instance, I'll come to you first, James, but I'll ask you all, what, you know, why why is it important that we listen about to what's going on and think about it and how our part plays out in all this?
3: Well, I think the the inclusion side of it for, for me leads into just practice culture. So this whole sort of culture of your practice. Um And if you've approached these topics and have a sort of policies in place that people can follow, it makes people feel safe so that they can be themselves. And if they do feel that way, they'll contribute more on matters um, and policies and and just be more happy there. Um, So they'll feel more supported. So it'll be easier to hopefully employ staff members and encourage them to stay. So I think if people don't feel respected and valued and And safe where they are they they will leave really Um, and then the other thing I guess to consider on that is students as well so students coming to see work experience at practices if they have a a negative experience or a bad experience not only will they not want to come back to your practice but they're going to talk to colleagues and friends at uni and um, potentially your practice not be blacklisted but I mean if people have had a really negative experience they are going to talk about it um so yeah I guess just keeping everyone happy and and things like that really
1: that's a good point I guess where where you've got a smallish team that will know each other well and maybe even socialize outside work these things may be less of an issue because people naturally get to know each other better and understand each other better but i guess perhaps a deal in a in a larger organization larger practice university setting and particularly like you said james where students are coming you know people from outside the team are coming and spending time with you it becomes perhaps more more e- or perhaps easier more easily happens or is more common i don't know what's your impression a deal where you just yes, know
2: james was saying that having that happy workplace and seeing um, people in the from those protected characteristics in different roles in the organisation in the workplace is very important for the students to see that that yes so for example a person of colour or a Muslim can be an equine medicine specialist can work in equine field can work in hospital can work in university and it's important to have these people in different areas so um it pro- so they can visually see that yes people are there and I think it's really important about the retention part of it so even my small example it didn't seem it didn't sound like a very big thing where some where your line manager asks you what accommodation you need but you'd be surprised to know that no one has ever asked me that conversation at any workplace before Mm. and although hopefully my employer's not listening to this but i i I genuinely would that is one of the reasons why why i would not want to leave this place because they understand what i need and have a really good grasp of my faith and they also know how, and they open that conversation, and that improves the whole retention part of it. Because I, I genuinely think it's a great workplace, and they, I can, I can do all my clinical work, I can do my other work, and I can support my faith at the same time. Which is really yeah,
1: I guess that's a really good point. Because by being accepting and understanding, and, and and thinking about other people's needs, that facilitates a massive amount of trust, doesn't it, and loyalty. And it's something that we talk about a lot in our profession, isn't it? And we are a small profession, actually, particularly, you know, the equine part of, of veterinary profession. You know, it's, I would say this every time it comes up, but, you know, there's not the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. It's more like two, isn't it? You always know somebody who knows somebody else that you know. So, you know, it's important we take that on board and use it to our advantage, actually, and be a bit more. Um, sort of inviting and a bit more accommodating within all our workplaces, so if you also just started work in a university, how does that compare to being in practice, for instance, when we consider this stuff?
0: Um, i'd really like to say that all the practices I worked in were able to make adjustments to help me with my health or you know were really welcoming inclusive places, but unfortunately, I would say I've had the same experience as a deal in that the university have been light years ahead in terms of their support and attitude towards making sure that I feel included, valued, making the work work for me, um, all of those things, which I think also it lets us perform better. Like it's, you know, in terms of if you are feeling ostracized, Lonely, um, you know, all of these things that you might feel if you're feeling discriminated against, you're not going to be doing your best. You're not going to be like your decision making might be clouded because you're feeling stressed. And we know that stress has an impact on our decision making. Like, actually functioning as a clinical vet, as a teacher, like whatever role you're taking on in the profession, if you're feeling included and valued, you're just going to be better at your job. Um, than you are if you're feeling lonely and ostracized. So I think, yeah, it kind of, yes, it's a nice feeling, but it also means that I can do a better job as a result of it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And going back to you, James, when it comes to people that are leading in practices um, and therefore you know perhaps don't have the backup as it were of a larger organization like university might do. What what do you think they can do? What can these people that are, that are partners or clinical directors in practice, what can they do to try and get this subject more ingrained in their in their practice society?
3: Um it's a lot of communication, so actively thinking about it more so than just um I guess one problem is a lot of people tolerate these differences, but actually going beyond that and, and making practice policies where you have something in place so that If this happens, your staff know how to deal with it and who to speak to and that they'll be supported, but then actually communicating that to them. So it doesn't need to be a massive policy. It can just be like, we don't support these behaviors. And if it happens, speak to this person, and it will be dealt with. But if, if they're aware of that, even, even that can, can help. And then I guess if there is the option to attend CPD, I know a lot of the, the bigger conferences are running sessions on Allyship and EDI that do you know what I mean it's not the whole course, but even if you pop across for half an hour, you'll often pick up ideas and examples in them which you can then feed back to the team. Yeah. Uh, and I guess one with the, back to the student thing. Um potentially if you've got students coming to see practice is sending out questionnaires before um a bit like Adil said to see if they've got any special needs that they would want and potentially sending out questionnaires after the placement to see whether those needs were met that's right. um, because i don't think we ever i mean the students usually leave and you have a chat with them and that's that's it then. And I think a lot of students, if they aren't having a great time, they're not going to be honest with you during the placement at all. And I mean, afterwards, they may not want to get back in touch, but even if one does and gives some valid feedback that you can work with, it would be, be really helpful.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. That's a un- really untapped source, isn't it, of, of being able to reflect as a practice or as a leader within a practice on how that practice is coming across and how they're behaving, how they're... How they're um, integrating, I suppose, with people coming into the
0: practice. That's a really that's a really good bit of advice there. And I really um, liked your point, James, on um, like the behavior part of it. And there was um, sort of a quote I came across recently in that the standard that you walk past is the standard you accept. And that whole like what is the standard for the practice and being really open with the communication on that, I think is a big thing because some, like so many of us have never had these conversations in terms of what do we deem okay within our place of work as to the language and behavior around some of these areas.
1: Yeah, that's so true, isn't it?
0: And and Sophie, you've looked a little
1: bit as um, sort of taking up the role of of edi officer really at beaver that you've looked at some of the stuff that's been going on in the wider equestrian industry because that's something that's brought up quite a lot is that amongst the equestrian industry there is a, a lack of representation isn't there and i know bef the british equestrian federation mm. have been into this quite a bit now um do you want to just summarize a little bit of what's going on elsewhere outside of the veterinary yeah,
0: I suppose like the BF have done um, like a four month long study and I think they've had sort of 800 people respond to their survey and study. So, you know, reasonable duration and reasonable numbers um, and just really highlighting the cultural I suppose both I th- like I think there's two parts that they've highlighted in the economic aspect of equine and that um, it's quite easy for people to discriminate against those from sort of lesser for want of a better word economic backgrounds and um, but also the race and cultural, part of it Um, and they're really highlighting areas that they want to work on to try and make the equestrian industry a more inclusive and supportive and accessible one to be a part of and I suppose while that's Great that that's going on outside. As equine vets ourselves, we need to be aware of the impact that's going to have on our clients. Like, And then like one of the big things for diversity or one of the big pros of diversity being if you have more people, Diverse people within your place of work, they're often more likely to be able to empathize and communicate well with some of your more diverse client base, or they're able to educate their colleagues on how to do that. And you just get different opinions and ideas coming in that mean that ultimately you can offer a better service to your clients, if where the hope is that that's going to become a more diverse area as well. So I think, you know, there are so many bits that factor into it really and I think just being aware that the stuff that's going on in the wider industry is one an example for us to look to in terms of what they're doing but also is going to have an impact on us and our client base.
1: Yeah I guess before we go back and sort of reflect on, on what we can do within the profession it'd be worth just going around to you James and deal really um, you know in terms of clients actually that's a really good point What's what's your kind of take home message for the client facing part of EDI as opposed to we'll talk in a minute about the within the within the profession within our practices but what James you go first any sort of messages you obviously had a negative experience with a client is there any advice for that specific part for vets
3: so I think it's thinking about these situations before they happen. So having an idea as to if this cropped up, what you would say in that instance, because at the time they do, it usually catches you off guard. And by the time you think about what you wish you'd said, the moment's passed and it's
2: yeah.
3: it's almost too late to address it then. And it becomes this buried problem that lingers. Yeah. Um, whereas if you pre-thought about what you'd say, if that situation cropped up, it's much easier rehearsal really isn't practicing it which seems silly but until it's happened you you don't know you need to do it
1: <laughs> being prepared yeah yeah that's mm-hmm. no, a good point and that that applies to someone that may be observing it going on as well isn't it what would you do in that situation mm-hmm. you might not be the recipient of the discrimination but if you witness it happening to someone else like you say sophie you don't want to walk on by and then show acceptance essentially towards yeah. it do you how would yeah. you intervene do, do you have any sort of Take home messages for the membership relating to either clients or
2: colleagues? I think my uh, take home message, I think the best I would say is have a conversation. I know everyone's busy and we've got lots we've got going on. The diary's full, that's all understandable. It's really, really simple. Just if you, if you, and not everyone's aware of, of all the EDI, it's huge categories. Just have that conversation with someone. What we'll ask them, is there anything that I can do? Uh, or any accommodation that you require to make your day-to-day working better. That will be good for yourself, the practice, the clients, and for the individual as well. So be ha- open to having a conversation and asking questions because everyone's open to answering questions.
1: Yeah, reaching out basically, isn't it? Making yeah. that first move particularly so you're not leaving the person that's potentially the one suffering from this to be the one that has to make the move to get, to get the solution, yeah. yeah. So if you watch your mm-hmm. take-home message, given everything – that we've talked about today and, and and particularly with the role of Beaver and everything else and all of us as members going forward, what we can do?
0: Um, I mean, maybe not so much what we can do, but more don't be afraid to make mistakes or terms of we're all learning. Um, this is you know, the first conversation we've had about this topic in the equine veterinary space that I'm aware of, or I suppose one really focusing on all the aspects of it. And I think It's going to take a while. Like, you know, we chatted with some of our council members, and I mean, I'm sure Dave won't mind me dropping a minute, but when I discussed bringing in EDI stuff to him at Congress last year, he was like, Yeah, what is EDI? Sorry, Sophie. And I was like, Okay, cool. And we've had other council members not knowing what the letters stand for. And it's a relatively new topic to so many people. So, like, learning happens. Like, big growth mindset fan like making mistakes is okay and but also being humble enough to be prepared to be corrected and learning from those mistakes.
1: Definitely I think that's a really really important thing and for people out there that find this whole subject area new and maybe even not relevant to them right now or in the past but it's, I think, something that, like you've said, James, be prepared. It might happen to you. It might happen to somebody near you tomorrow. And like you've said, Adele, you just you just need to be able to talk about it when it comes up, so that you can be part of that conversation and create a better atmosphere for everybody that you're working with and working for as clients as well. So, thank you all for coming. It was a really enlightening podcast, and really enjoyed this episode. And um, and I think there's plenty of scope to do more discussion on this. Um, so I I don't doubt for a minute we'll have you all back (laughs) to to talk more in depth about action points I suppose that we could all consider bringing into our professional lives thank you thank you Adil thank you
3: very much thank
0: you James thanks Lucy and thanks Sophie and we'll speak to you all soon cheers Lucy Ticker. Bye.